and a great big welcome to Old Time Pool 3 here on the Yesterday USA Superstation. My name is Rudy Stark. I'm coming to you from Timmins, Ontario, Canada. Today we'll listen to an episode of Suspense, originally aired on August 4th, 1957. A talent agent tries to sign a ventriloquist to a television contract, but the performer refuses to leave the carnival. What is the murderous secret of the mysterious ventriloquist and his deadly dummy? Well, we'll find out. Sit back and enjoy Suspense. The episode is entitled Flesh Peddler. Suspense. And the producer of radio's outstanding theater of thrills, the master of mystery and adventure, William N. Robeson. One of the greatest pleasures we find in this business of keeping you in suspense is the discovery of new talent and of unusual story twists. And what you're about to hear, we think we have combined both. The twist, you'll never guess it, no matter how familiar you are with that mystical literary device, the ventriloquist dummy. And the new talent, two young men, Bob Jorn, whose first radio play this is, and DeForest Kelly, a bright new luminary in the Hollywood firmament who is presently being seen as Morgan Earp in Gunfight at O.K. Corral. Put them all together, and you have a strange half hour ahead. Listen. Listen, then, as DeForest Kelly stars in Flesh Peddler, which begins in exactly one minute. Smoke Kent. Smoke Kent. Smoke Kent with the Micronite filter. sometimes unkindly called. But I don't peddle flesh. I sell talent. Singers, musicians, nightclub acts. And I'm pretty good at it. I've got an instinct for talent. When I find a new act that's really got it, I go after it until it's mine. Only the ventriloquist team of Wilson and Oliver. I wish I'd never heard of them. Then I could sleep better nights. My wife and I were vacationing in the Catskills last summer, and the night before we were due back in New York, a carnival pulled into town. Now, I don't want to sound like a snob, but to me, the carnival is the lowest form of show business. I hate them. But my wife, Gloria, loves them. Since I love Gloria, we went to the carnival. Pete, isn't it exciting? It's just cheap noise. Oh, I wish it had come to town sooner. I wish it hadn't come till tomorrow. 
Oh, come on, Pete. You might even find some new talent. Here? Why not? Freaks are for sideshows, honey, not class spots. You never can tell. A bearded lady might go great at the coca. Hey, hey, I can hey, tell. Right here for the wonder of the midway. Hey, the one and only Alexander Wilson and his lovable little dummy pal, Oliver. Hey, you've seen Ben Penipus before, you say. Uh-huh. Hey, but you've never seen anything to equal Wilson. The remarkable Wilson and Oliver. Hey, don't pass this by, friends. Pete, let's go in. Oh, but it's Philip West, a dime a dozen. Come on, I want to see him. Honey, you've seen a hundred just like him. Well, maybe he's one in a hundred. All right, all right. We pushed through into the small tent and took our places on the hard, uncomfortable benches. Wilson was already seated on the platform, a typical childishly dressed dummy on his lap. He was a man in his fifties, I'd say, with the saddest face I've seen in 15 years of show business. When the people were in, he suddenly sprang the dummy to life. Shut the doors, shut the doors. All present accounted for, Mr. Wilson. You're sure, Oliver? Sure. But then... Say hello to the people. Hello to the people. Oh, now, come, Oliver. You can do better than that. I can? Yes. Well, you ought to know. (laughs) (laughs) The routine was awful. Dull, time-worn. But for some reason, this Wilson fascinated me. He had a talent all right. His handling of the dummy was amazingly accurate. As the act went on, I began to think that Wilson was even better than the Barker said he was. And he was going over with the house. Wilson had Oliver sing while he himself smoked a cigarette. After a few more gag routines and a couple of neat tricks, the performance was over, and I knew I had to sign the act. I parked Glory on the merry-go-round and then went looking for Wilson. I walked back of the midway through the maze of painted trailers that were home to carny people. Suddenly the door to one of them flew open and a woman stepped out, a neatly trimmed beard covering her chin. What do you want? I'm looking for Alexander Wilson. Wilson? Why? I'm a talent agent from New York. I'd like to talk to him. Agent? Yes, Peter Harris, and you're... Bernice, it's on the poster. Oh, yes, of course, Bernice. What do you want with Alexander Wilson? I told you I... Oh, it's a Bernice. Talent agent. Never mind, go back in. Uh, uh, agent? I'm looking for Mr. Wilson. Oh, uh, well, I'm Arthur. Uh, you caught my knife act? You you know, I could pin a fly to a penny of four feet. Don't mind him, flesh peddler. Go away. Go home. Agents are no good for us. Leave Wilson alone. And you know, uh, like I could put out a candle flame with a penknife at 30 feet, Agent Man. Arthur? And go back in. Uh, maybe he could sell my act. Go in. All right. Uh, Wilson's in trailer 17, Agent Man. Hey, if you ever need a... a Shut up, Arthur. To... Shut up. Get in there. Forget what he said. Arthur is... Well, he isn't quite bright. You know what I mean? Yeah. What's so wrong about seeing Wilson? There are plenty of acts like his. You don't need him. Well, you've got my curiosity going now, Bernice. I hadn't intended that. But forget your curiosity. And go home. Now. Why? Believe me, flesh peddler, you will thank me for this advice someday. Which is trailer 17? I couldn't see why Bernice was so huffy. It was none of her business anyway. I roamed through the trailers with my cigarette lighter held high, looking for number 17. Finally, I found it. 
a small aluminum antique set apart from the rest with a pre-war Chevy attached to it. The trailer was completely dark. Mr. Wilson. What is it? I'm Peter Harris. I'd like to talk to you. What do you want? Well, I'm an agent, Mr. Wilson. I'd like to see you. Just a minute. Yes? I just caught your act, Mr. Wilson. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you. I'd like to do business with you. Do business? Here's my card. My office places acts on all four networks and all the principal nightclubs. I'm afraid it's out of the question. I, I never play in nightclubs. But... Yes, I, I never play nightclubs, Mr. Harris. Well, could I come in for a moment, explain my setup? Maybe when you... No, forgive me for appearing short, but I, I'm not interested in any offer you have to make. To begin with, I can get you 200 a week. Oh, excuse me. 250? No, I'm very tired, if you'll pardon me. Okay, Mr. Wilson, but will you tell me why you want to stay with a two-bit freak show when you could make a small fortune working with me? No. No, I'm afraid I can't tell you. Good night. I suppose I should have forgotten all about it, but I'm not used to the brush off. Like I say, when I see an act I want, I go after it until I get it. And then there was something about Wilson's reluctance that wasn't somehow on the level. As I walked back toward the bright lights and the noise of the midway, a figure stepped from behind one of the darkened trailers. So you saw him? Oh, Bernice. Yes, I saw him. And are you satisfied? Not at all. Just more curious. Exactly. Only fools push their noses into other people's business, flesh peddler. Um, Harris is the name. And only fools get themselves and other people into trouble. Trouble? All I wanted was to offer him a nice fat job, two fifty a week, and he slammed the door in my face. Alexander Wilson cannot leave this carnival. Why? You don't know, Mr. Harris, and you're not going to know. Know what? Stop asking foolish questions. Your curiosity can do a great deal of harm. Bernice, where does the carnival go from here? Really, Mr. Harris, you don't expect me to... Look, I can ask any one of the Barkers or setup men. Ask them then. All right, I will. But remember, Flesh Peddler, if you follow us to Poughkeepsie, oh, I'll... Poughkeepsie. Very well, now you know. But if you follow us and try to see Wilson again, you are a fool. In just a moment, we continue with... Suspense. Who says you can't have your cake and eat it? With our vast network facilities at your disposal, you can hop in the car and get away from it all and still not miss out on any of the exciting entertainment you've been enjoying regularly at home. The latest news, our daytime dramas, the music and comedy shows that fill each evening with joy are all available to you whether you're perched at the top of the highest mountain or are dangling a toe in the edge of the sea. The six dramatic shows that follow each other on CBS Radio every Sunday bring Broadway and Hollywood to you whether you're drifting downstream on a barge or flying high in a sports plane built for two. And the biggest variety shows can be enjoyed to the hilt on a pocket-sized transistor as well as the huge console radio in a luxurious country hotel. Summer is a time for fun outdoors. Summer is a time for travel. With CBS Radio at your side, summer is a time for top-flight entertainment. No matter where you happen to be, no matter what else you happen to be doing, and now, we continue with the second act of Flesh Peddler, starring Mr. DeForest Kelly. 
A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Clara and I drove back to Manhattan the next morning. And two days later, I hopped a Poughkeepsie local out of Grand Central. The more I thought about Wilson, the more of a challenge he became. I wanted him for my list, but more than that, I wanted to find out what was behind Bernice's strange attitude. Now I wish I'd forgotten about the whole thing. In Poughkeepsie, I checked into a hotel, took a cab to the carnival grounds at the edge of town. It was late afternoon as I pulled up in front of the gaudy tents and booths waiting for the evening crowds. I made my way through the cluttered midway, looking for Wilson's aluminum trailer and hoping I wouldn't run into Bernice. Uh, agent man. Uh, hey, hey, agent man. Uh, hello. Hello. Uh, remember me, uh, Arthur the knife thrower? I can fit a fly to a penny. Yes, I, I remember you. And you've uh, come for me? What's that? You, you come all this way to get me for your agency? Well, no, I'm afraid not. Oh. Uh, well, that's all right. I mean, you know, like, I've been giving it a lot of thought, and uh, I don't think I could go with you anyway. <laughs> I see. So I, I couldn't leave Bernice in the carnival. Uh, my sister uh, says carny folk should stay with carny folk. Your sister? Bernice. Oh. Arthur, why is Bernice so so close-mouthed about Mr. Wilson. She acts as though she's afraid of him. Uh, well, us carny folks uh, stick together, see? Like, we, we don't like other people sticking their noses into our business. Bernice said that? Yes. Arthur, where's Mr. Wilson's trailer? I don't know. Oh, come now, Arthur. Uh, Bernice says, you know... Uh, I know. Bernice says too much. Uh, I, I don't know anything, Agent Man. Well, I have to go practice my knife throwing now. I gotta practice every day, you know? You know? Well, it was clear Benice had given Arthur his instructions, and no thanks to him, I finally found Wilson's trailer set off from the rest. Mr. Wilson? Mr. Wilson! The door to the trailer was unlocked, and it swung open at my knock. Wilson obviously wasn't there, but I didn't think he'd mind if I went in and waited. The inside of the trailer was dim and musty. I left the door open to let in what little sunlight the day had left and sat in the lone chair in front of the makeup table. I was just about to reach for a cigarette when I had the feeling that I wasn't alone. I turned slowly in the chair and the back of my neck began to crawl. There on a shabby army cot was Wilson's dummy, propped up against the wall. The steady, unchanging expression of its face with the staring eyes and painted smile ran back at me. It was weird and uncomfortable to be so close to this lifeless thing. Unmoving, wooden, that seemed so real and alive on the platform in the tent. I tried to ignore it, but I couldn't. I looked away, but I could still feel it there, grinning at me in the early evening dimness. When I could stand it no longer, I got up and walked out of the trailer and bumped right into Bernice. What did I tell you, flesh peddler? Bernice, I... What were you doing in there? Waiting. For Wilson. What did I tell you? Now look, Bernice. I don't like you or anyone else telling me what I can or can't do. I want to see Wilson Come with again. Me. I'm waiting here. Come with me, please. I must talk to you privately in my trailer. Oh. 
Sit down. Well, what's on your mind, Bernice? I didn't really think you'd follow us. I told you I'm not easily discouraged. Mr. Harris, I must warn you again to leave now without seeing Wilson. I don't think you understand me. I'm used to getting what I go after. Mr. Harris. I intend to see Wilson to try to talk him into signing a contract. And you've said so far, all that you've said is go away. Can you give me a good reason for not seeing him? Okay, then why did you insist on dragging me in here? Mr. Harris, can you assure me your interest in Wilson does not go beyond signing him as a client? What do you mean? Your interest in Wilson wouldn't by chance be in his past, his private life, and not in his professional talent. I never heard of him until I caught his act three days ago. Mr. Harris, I'd hoped I wouldn't have to tell you this. I didn't realize you were so stubborn, but... Yes? Well, Alexander Wilson lost his mind many years ago. That doesn't disturb you. It might, if I believed you, Bernice. What? I don't think Wilson's nuts. Apparently something's bothering him. Something big, maybe, but it's not insanity. I suppose you know Wilson better than I do. I didn't say that. But a man in my business meets every kind of person there is. The cheats, the phonies, the right guys, the bums. So? So you develop an instinct about people. And my instinct tells me Wilson is not insane. You'll have to try something better to scare me off. Mr. Harris, Wilson thinks he's a murderer. You are trying to scare me, aren't you? If that's necessary to protect you and us, yes. You think he might murder me, too? I don't mean that. Actually, he never murdered anyone. Look, Bernice, you don't make sense. Don't you understand? No. I said Alexander Wilson thinks he is a murderer. He thinks he murdered a woman a long time ago. He's lived with this thought for years, nourished it until he really believes it. It's driven him out of his mind. Bernice, do you expect me to believe a cockamamie story like that? It's the truth. So don't you see? The only place for him is here, in the carnival, with his own kind. We understand Well, him. hasn't anyone tried to help him to make him realize He's beyond that... that now. But with us, he's all right. Outsiders disturb him. You haven't scared me off, Bernice. You've got to stay away from him. Why? If anything you've told me is true, it's only half the truth. It's enough for you to know. From you, maybe. Perhaps Wilson will tell me the rest. I've warned you. I will not warn you again. Oh, Bernice. Oh, hello again, Agent Man. Hi, Arthur. How's your throwing arm? Well, uh... Come in, Arthur. Mr. Harris is just leaving. Yes. So long, Bernice. Goodbye, Mr. Harris. When the trailer door closed behind me, I guess Bernice would start talking her fury out on Arthur. So I moved around to the small window in the back of the trailer to see if I could learn anything more. I don't care. I don't even want you to say hello to him. Nothing. Understand? Well, you know, uh, just saying hello uh, don't hurt, does it, Bernice? I don't want you to open your mouth in front of that man even to yawn. I had to lie to him to get him away from here. And I don't want you saying anything to bring him back. Uh, uh, all right, Bernice. Just pray he goes back to his flesh peddling in New York on the first train. Just as I thought, Bernice had lied to me. I was determined to get to the bottom of this double talk about Wilson more than ever. This had become more important to me than signing him to the usual seven-year management contract. When I got back to Wilson's trailer... Who's there? It's Peter Harris again. 
Who? Peter Harris. I spoke to you a few days ago and... What do you want? I want to talk to you, Mr. Wilson. Go away. But I've come all the way from New York. I must ask you to leave at once. Look, Mr. Wilson, I'm not a detective. All I wanted when I first met you was to book you into the big time. But now there's something more. I think you need help. You need help badly. No, you're mistaken. And I come in and talk to you. Oh, good heavens, no. Well, how about having a drink with me before the show? You look like you could use one. Please, uh, leave me alone. Wilson. Wilson, don't you see what these people are doing to you? For some reason, you're a haunted man. And this carnival is the worst place in the world. Leave me now. Leave me, please. These people are all the help I need. Leave me alone. I'll be at the hotel overnight. If you change your mind, Wilson, call me. Now I was mad. If he wanted to rot there, go on with the carnival until it wasted away, it was no business of mine. I had a few drinks in my room at the hotel. Phone Gloria that I'd be home the next day. Went to bed. Yes? Mr. Harris? Wilson. Can you meet me right away? Right, right away? What time is it? I don't know. It's after midnight. It's 1, 1.30. Well, I... Please, please. I must talk to you. Can you meet me? Sure. Okay, where are you calling from? Uh, an all-night drugstore. Well, where is it? Wait. Wait. No, not here. Meet me at my trailer. Okay. took me longer to wake the cab driver in front of the hotel than it did to get to the carnival grounds. I told the cab to wait and made my way through the darkened tents and trailers to number 17. Come in. What's the matter? Uh, Mr. Harris, I've changed my mind. I, I want to leave with you tonight. But tonight? Well, what's the... Mr. What? Harris, you're the first person outside of the carnival I've talked to in more than two years. You're the first person I've had the courage to approach. Go on. I trust you, Mr. Harris. I can't say why, but I know you'll believe me and help me. I can't live like this anymore. Sure, sure. Now, just take it. No, no, no. Listen to me. Two years ago, I killed a woman. A beautiful woman. I loved her more than I've ever loved anything or anyone in my life. When I tried to tell her how much I loved her, she laughed at me. I couldn't stand that laugh. I understand, Wilson. But that isn't exactly justification. See, she and her son, uh, she was divorced, were working in this very carnival when I first saw her back in my hometown in Illinois. Yes. I fell in love. Oh, you can call me a rube, anything, but I was in love. I quit my job and followed the carnival for months. That's how much I loved her. And she laughed at me. So I shot her one night. And then I wanted to die, too, and... When I saw her lying there at my feet, I, I wanted them to hang me, but they laughed at me. They laughed at The you? law, the police, they didn't believe I'd done anything. They wouldn't let me give myself up. Where did you get this crazy idea, Wilson? It isn't a crazy idea, it's the truth. Look, lots of people get lots of funny ideas. They think about something they want to do, 
And they think about it so much that they, they really believe they've done it. It was real from the beginning. I killed her. I did. But there was no evidence against me. Listen, Wilson, you're not making sense. You listen. He destroyed every bit of evidence. So he could punish me himself. The police couldn't arrest or even suspect me. Who destroyed what evidence, Wilson? Her son, Oliver. Oliver? Yes, Mr. Harris. He's referring to me. A trick? No. Wilson was too upset to be tricking me. I wheeled at the sound of his voice, and there in the doorway stood Wilson's dummy, Oliver, a small but capable pistol in his hand. You are just as curious as Bernice said you were, Mr. Harris. Oliver. Bernice told me a lot about you. You had to know. And now you do. No, you're not... You shocked to learn I'm a midget. I must admit you gave me quite a start when you made yourself at home in the trailer this afternoon. But that was... That was me, Mr. Harris. Fortunately, I was already made up for the evening performance. Mr. Harris hasn't done anything, Oliver. Let him go. That depends on you. You see, Mr. Harris, Wilson is no ventriloquist. I guess that's obvious now. It is. Wilson murdered my mother. And I protected him from the police. But why? Why? So the law couldn't punish him. What satisfaction would there have been for me if they just hanged him? He'd been dead in an instant. Is that enough punishment for a man who has murdered your mother? No. He deserved more. And I've given it to him. I've punished Alexander Wilson for years. Yeah, that's right, Mr. Harris. He, he's held this over my head ever since. Sitting on my lap at every performance, reminding me, night and day, well, well, I've had as much as I can stand. So go ahead, Oliver. Shoot! Shoot! Oliver, be sensible. If you pull that trigger, they're here. They? Bernice and Arthur and everyone else? Bernice already knows, and now I don't care if the others do, too. For heaven's sake, shoot me! Get it over with! Shoot me, you monster! Shoot me! With horror frozen on his face, Wilson slid to the floor, dead. And Oliver turned on me, the pupils of his eyes tiny with madness and his frail little body trembling. I'm afraid this is one act you can't book, Mr. Harris. Oliver. You wanted to know everything. Oliver, now wait, wait. I'm really sorry for your sake. He asked me to let you go, but under the circumstances. No. I... I'm sorry, Mr. Harris. It flashed by my head and landed quivering. Oliver's chest, a long, gleaming knife blade. And there was Arthur in the doorway of the trailer with Bernice, his face like stone, watching Oliver crumple the little distance to the floor. Slowly, the faces of the others appeared in the doorway, silent. The terror I was holding back was a physical pain. I walked to the door and stood looking down at the little body lying awkwardly like a dummy now. A lifeless thing, unmoving, Staring, even with the traces of a painted smile grinning up at me. This couldn't have gone on any longer, I suppose. The police will come now, and at last there'll be an end to it. Go home, flesh peddler, and forget all about us. I went home, but I haven't forgotten, and I'm afraid I never will. Suspense. In which...
which DeForest Kelly starred in William N. Robeson's production of Flesh Peddler, written by Robert Duran. Listen. Listen again next week when we return with Pigeon in the Cage, starring Lloyd Bridges. Another tale well calculated to keep you in... Supporting Mr. Kelly and Flesh Peddler were D.J. Thompson, Gretchen Connie, Dawes Butler, Howard McNear, and Dick Beals. How are your brakes? Not the ones in your car. We're sure you keep those in tip-top working order. But how about your own brakes? Are they in working shape? When you're behind the wheel of your car and you feel that impulse to challenge the legal speed limit, can you stop that impulse on a dime? When a less courteous driver does something downright stupid that may inconvenience you, are you likely to do something twice as foolish just to show him he can't push you around? Or can you say halt to your anger before it leads to an accident? Students of human behavior have discovered that most of the accidents on our highways are the result of emotional immaturity. An adult can control his feelings and concentrate on his goal. Don't let childish attitudes keep you from reaching your destination. When other drivers and traffic regulations annoy you, use the brakes in your head as quickly as you would the ones on your car. Remember, accidents don't have to happen. listens most to the CBS Radio Network. And up next is my good buddy, Walden Hughes. Here's Jack Armstrong from January 17th, 1941. The all-American boy. Wave the piper at them high, boys. Show them how we stand. Ever shall our team be champions, known throughout the land. Wheaties, breakfast of champions, bring you the thrilling adventures of Jack Armstrong, the all-American boy. Look, do you ever wonder just what goes on in the pilot's cockpit of a transport plane while it's in flight? Well, if you'd been sitting in the co-pilot seat of Northwest Airlines Flight 6 this morning, you would have heard something like this. Northwest Airlines Flight 6 to Chicago. Chicago. Wind check, please. Okay, 6. Wind, north by northwest. 18 miles an hour. Gusting. High scattered clouds. Visibility, 10 miles. Okay. We're contacted 5,000. Descending to 3,000. Estimate Chicago. At 11.35, ramp at 11.38.
Standing right beside me here in the studio is the pilot who brought Flight 6 into Chicago this morning. He's Captain Bill Richmond of Northwest Airlines. Now, Captain, I know Jack Armstrong's friends are anxious to hear what you've got to tell them about flying. Now, first, we'd like to know just what your biggest thrill in flying was. Well, there isn't much doubt about that. My biggest and best thrill was my first solo flight. Well, did you spend much time in private flying? Not much. I went after my commercial license and then spent three pretty hectic years barnstorming. <laughs> Were you in the Army Air Corps? Yes. I was at Kelly and Randolph Fields in Texas for a year. And then I joined the 17th Pursuit Group at Marchfield on the coast. It was mighty valuable experience. And how long have you been flying for Northwest Airlines? About five years. Now, Captain Richmond, with your 6,000 hours in the air, I know you've got some good advice for Jack Armstrong's friends who are interested in aviation. Well, I'll say one of the most important things for you fellows who are interested in flying is a good educational background. You know there's a lot more to flying than just hanging onto a stick and kicking a rudder around. Next, I'd say that every fellow ought to keep himself in top-notch physical condition all the time. And that's for sure, Captain Richmond. I'd urge every fellow who wants to fly to start following a regular training program right now. I know about Jack Armstrong's training rules, and I'm for them 100%. I've always been interested in athletics, and consequently, I'm no stranger to training programs. And you still put your okay on Jack Armstrong's training rules. You can be sure of that. You know I like good things to eat. And I've found plenty of other flyers who do, too. And I've found that Wheaties, milk and fruit, make a swell breakfast. Well, thanks a lot, Captain Richmond. And I know there'll be plenty of fellows and girls all over the country who will join you in a breakfast of champions tomorrow morning. And I hope they'll train Jack Armstrong's way right through the year. And now, Jack Armstrong, the all-American boy. <laughs> Jack Armstrong, Billy, Betty, and Uncle Jim are held prisoners in a little thatched hut in the village of Mulita in Mindanao. Their pack horse, with their supplies and a little portable radio set strapped to his back, is being held by the natives a little distance from the hut. Karang, the chief of the village, suspects that Jack and the others have come to the village to spy on him. And he and the old Moro peddler are about to inspect the supplies loaded on the pack horse. But Jack has discovered that the Moro peddler is their old friend Melua from Catabongo in disguise. In the hut, Billy is talking. Listen. I can see what Karang is doing, Uncle Jim. Look, you can all see. Why, he isn't doing anything. He's just standing by our pack horse. He's talking to Michelle. Oh, they've got Michelle's hand tied. It looks to me as though Michelle is talking to Karang. I'll bet Michelle is trying to scare him into staying away from our supplies on the pack horse. Gosh, Michelle will have a hard time now persuading Karang that the horse is a magic horse. If we could only get that horse to talk now. Well, we could, Billy, if we could turn on the switch to that little radio set on the horse's back. Maybe we'll get a chance to do that later on. Wait. I hear someone coming right outside the doorway. Why, it's the old Moro peddler. I still can't believe it's you, Malua. You know me, huh? You know me, Uncle Jim? You know me, Doc? You bet we know you, Malua. But you certainly had us all fooled, Malua. I should say you did. Well, Jack told us it was you, Malua, but it was so hard to believe. You seemed so angry at us out there. You seemed to hate us so. Not just to fool Karang. Me glad you came. Me thought maybe you'd come. How's that, Malua? You thought we'd come. But jump on Jupiter, Malua. You didn't even know we were in Zamboanga. And you certainly didn't know we'd come up in the hill country to this village. Me thought you'd come. You say you come back to Mindanao. Me think you stop at Zamboanga. But holy smoke, Malua. How'd you know we'd come up here to Mulita? Me not know. But me leave Tic Tic Watch in Zamboanga. Me think maybe you hear of Tic Tic Watch. 
Then you come to see old Moro Pedlock. You mean you left Professor Loring's watch there on purpose as a crew for us? That's right, Jack. Me leave Tick-Tick watch with bad man. He help get gone to bad village. He think me help too. Me no soldier catch him sometime. Then they find Tick-Tick watch. Maybe they tell you when you come. But why did you want us to come here, Manuel? Me know you look for white man. Me find out something about white man. Me want let you know. Jump on Jiminy, you found out something about Professor Loring? Me find out something. Me tell you later. Right now, we got plenty trouble, huh? I'll say we've got plenty of trouble. We've got to get away from Karang somehow. And say, Manuel, have you still got my pedometer? Yeah, me got pedometer. Me give you later. But why did you take it from Jack, Manuel? Karang want pedometer very bad. Me know he take. So, me take first. Me think maybe you need pedometer very soon. We always need that pedometer in this country, Manuel. That's right, Uncle Jim. But maybe we need him very bad after we get away from Karang. But why will we need it so badly then, Manuel? Maybe we find a place where Karang hide rifle, Betty. But me tell you later. Didn't I tell you, Jack? Karang has smuggled some rifles into the hills. That's right, Billy. That's why me here. Sultan Natang send me here find out. Sultan Natang? You mean the white Sultan of Mindanao? Me tell you more later, Jack. Now, we think hard, huh? We think how we get away. Oh, if we could only make that horse talk again. That'd scare Karang into letting us go. Karang, tell me horse talk, Jack. How come? There's a little portable radio set on the horse's pack, Manuel. It's like this set that's strapped to my back. I talk into this set and the words come out on the horse's radio. <laughs> that very good, Jack. But why he no talk now, huh? The switch on the horse's radio set is turned off, Malua. If you could turn it on... Say, you can't turn it on. The switch is on the bottom of that little radio pack strapped on top of the big pack. Like this one here, see? Yeah, me see. Malua, if you can only turn it on, we're all fixed. That very good, Jack. Me turn it on. But Jack, look, Karang is leading the horse here. He is bringing it to this hut. Let me see, Betty. Say, that's right. What's he up to, Malua? He think horse lost magic, Jack. He bring horse here to make plenty fun of you. Also... He's still a little bit afraid of horse. He bring here to make sure horse lost magic. Then he take everything you got. Jumpin' Jiminy Jack, this is our chance. If Maliwa can turn that switch on without being seen, we can scare the daylights out of Karang. You make horse ask him who pay him money. You make horse ask why he's still young and coconut. You make horse ask him who kill old chief. You bet I'll ask him those things. Ah, he let you go quick then. But you no ask him about rifle. You no let him think horse know anything about rifle. The horse won't mention a thing about the rifles, Malua. That good. If you get away, you start back. Me join you later. Then we go find rifle, huh? We use pedometer. We find where he hide them. We tell white soldier. That right, Uncle Jim? That's a bargain, Malua. If we get away from here, you'll tell us about Professor Loring, and we'll find where those rifles are hidden. Oh, shh. Karang is almost here with the horse, and half the village is here with him. Me go now. But first, me be very angry with you. Me call you bad name. You know mine, cause you know sabe. Oh, go ahead, Malu. Call us anything you want to. Look, Malu is old and stooped again. Why, he's a different person. He'll have a different voice, too, Betty. Put your hands over your ears and he's gonna call us names. Marco, Malia, Kong, B.A. Offer and catfish, I sure hate to know what that means in English. He's leaving the door open, Jack. Look, here comes Karan and our horse. He's still not sure of that horse. Look how carefully he leads him. Is your radio set all ready to broadcast, Jack? Just as soon as I turn on the switch and pull out the mic, Uncle Jim. I won't have to use the rod antenna for this short distance. Then you'd better go back into a dark corner where they can't see you. That's the idea. Keep over there where you can watch Karang and where he can't see you. 
The show has got to be good. Look at now, you old Billy. He's pretending to examine the packs on the horse. He'll have that switch on in just a second, Betty. There, I think he's got it on now. Be careful, Jack. The horse is all ready to do a bit of talking. I'll watch it, Billy. I haven't gotten out the mic yet. Look at Karan. He's getting ready to make a speech to us. White man, Fairfield. You listen. Me talk. I listen, Karan. But you may not be talking very long. What white man say, huh? I say you may not be talking very long. You're making my horse very angry. If I give the word, he'll pull some of his magic on you. The whole village couldn't save you then. Yeah, white man talk big. Yeah. Me says he's the white man. Me, Karang, have magic too. Magic of Karang is stronger than magic of horse. Yeah. Me tell my young men that horse cannot talk when me hold ring. There, Karang, the horse has spoken. Why have you dropped his reins? Why are your young men frozen in their tracks? So, you have nothing to say. Then I'll have the horse tell you a few things. I have many things to tell you, Karang of the Evil Mouth. But first, tell your young men to unbind my Filipino master, Michelle. Oh, yeah. It, it, it shall be done, almighty oh, horse. <laughs> Me tell them now. They are unbinding your Filipino master, oh, oh mighty horse. Good. Now, listen well, Karan. From whose hands do you receive money? No, no, it is not so, oh mighty horse. Me be paid by no one. You lie, Karan. And listen once more. Who has stolen the coconuts gathered by the young men of your village? Okay. Uh, me, me shall return them, oh, oh mighty horse. Me, me, me shall return them for, for next moon. That is well. But I see other things in your heart, Karan. I see things that you hide from the light of day. I see the old chief of your village, the old Bagani. I see him struggling before he dies. I see... I, 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 enough, oh, mighty horse. <laughs> what you wish. <laughs> Listen to my command. You shall let my masters go. Yeah, it shall be done. It, it shall be done at once. But that is not all. My masters do not like this old moral peddler. He speaks evil of my masters. You shall tie his hands well. You shall tie his hands to this strap on my back. My masters shall take him away. Listen to that, Betty. That's a bully idea of Jack's. What? We, we, well, we can take Malua with us. Me, 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 hear your words, oh, mighty horse. It, it shall be done. A moro peddler shall be tied. Your master shall take him with them. Uh, me tie up, oh, moro peddler, and give him to you. Go, go, and never return. <laughs> Well, it's no wonder Karang wants to see that remarkable horse leave his village. But don't think for a moment that Jack and the others are going right back to the coast. Melia was hot on the trail of that supply of smuggled rifles. You can bet that Jack and Uncle Jim and the others will want to find out where they are. And say, Melia seems to think they're going to need that pedometer. There's something mighty mysterious about that. And there's lots of excitement ahead, too, for you can be sure that the hiding place of those smuggled rifles is well guarded. So listen in, all of you, at this same time tomorrow 
for another thrilling episode of the Zamboang Adventure with Jack Armstrong, the all-American boy. Wheaties, milk or cream, and your favorite fruit. There's a breakfast combination that's really breaking records for super special flavor. Remind Mother to get you Wheaties and your favorite fruit today or tomorrow. Then ask her to serve your year-round training breakfast, a breakfast of champions, every morning from here on in. Have you tried Wheaties? They're whole wheat with all of the bran. This is Franklin McCormick saying goodbye until tomorrow for General Mills, makers of Wheaties, breakfast of champions, who have just presented another episode of Jack Armstrong, the all-American boy. So just buy Wheaties, the best breakfast food in the land. Wave the Viper Hudson High, boys. All right, Walden, step up to the microphone and do your thing. Here's another part of the Peter Ford interview. And you used to uh, used to go up and uh, uh, be babysat by James and Pamela Mason. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Mason was my babysitter, and um, and uh, I tell you, Bill, <laughs> it's it's uh, it, it 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 goes on and on and on. All of these people, you know. I mean, uh, but I I had the great fortune to be born at a time when Hollywood was golden, uh, which I don't think it is anymore. And um, and I had the fortune to meet a lot of the the people uh, who um, you know who I think we all share in our you know fond memories of Hollywood and the in the good old days. Here's Walden. Next will be Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet from April 24, We're not supposed to tell about that until later. Can't we tell anything about it? Well, the solid silver with beauty that lives forever is international sterling. Everybody knows that.
solid silver with beauty that lives forever is International Sterling. From Hollywood, International Silver Company, creators of International Sterling, presents the amusing transcribed adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, starring America's favorite young couple, Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. Let's see what's going on at 1847 Rogers Road today. For one thing, I see two young boys walking slowly up the hill toward the Nelson's house. Hey, can that possibly be David and Ricky? Hmm, well, it looks like them, and yet they look so dejected. David seems to be limping a little bit. Say, his trouser leg is torn. Golly, I hope it's nothing serious. Is your leg still hurt, David? No, it's okay. Boy, you sure fell down hard. I know it. You skidded along the ground and nearly turned a somersault. Okay, I know. Forget about it. Don't get sore at me just because you lost the race. Okay, so I fell down and lost the race. Imagine losing a race to Bobby Hamilton. That's what I say. He can't even run. That's what I say. It wasn't a fair race anyway. You know, it seemed like somebody pushed me just as I got close to the finish line. Yeah, that's it, David. He came back and pushed you. <laughs> I hope Mom doesn't notice this rip in my pants. Maybe she won't. Does it look bad? It looks like you pulled the zipper down too far. <laughs> Hi, Mom. Hi, Pop. Hello, boys. What's the matter, David? You look as if you lost your best friend. It's nothing, Pop. Oh, David, look at your good pants. How did that happen? It was nothing, Mom. Well, something must have happened. It was nothing important. You're not going to volunteer to tell us, David? Could I volunteer, Pop? <laughs> Ricky, if David doesn't want to answer our questions, that's his business. In this house, everybody's allowed to lead his own life, keep his own counsel, follow the dictates of his own conscience. If David doesn't want to give us any information, that's up to him. Then can I go up to my room now, Pop? Don't you want to tell us what happened to your pants? <laughs> Shall I shine the bright light in his face, dear? All right, I'm sure David has no intention of keeping secrets from his parents. Now, how did you tear your pants, David? It was nothing, Pop. Now can I volunteer, Pop? <laughs> no, Ricky, this is strictly David's affair. David... I wonder if you understand why we want to find out about those pants of yours. We're not prying. I'm asking purely because, as your father, I want to be helpful. And I'm asking because, as your mother, I'm dying of curiosity. <laughs> now, tell us, how did it happen, David? He and Bobby Hamilton were showing off. Uh, wait a minute. Is your name David? Huh? I said, is your name David? No, sir. <laughs> well, let David answer for himself, Ricky. What happened, David? We were having a running race and I fell down. You want to know why? You keep quiet, Ricky. I was talking to Pop. Is your name David? Yes. <laughs> well, why were they running the race, Ricky? They were showing off for Betty Jackson. They ran a race and David fell down. Oh, David, don't you think that was a little silly, running a race to impress a girl? What could I do, Mom? Just stand there and look like a sap? You look like one anyway. Now, Ricky, that's enough. It was a foolish thing to do, though, David. If a girl likes you, you don't have to show off to impress her. Well, Harriet, I hate to interfere when you're trying to make a point to the boys, but I'm afraid I have to disagree on that. Oh, you're in favor of skinning knees and tearing trousers? 
David's condition is a result of a natural effort to win the girl of his choice. The skinned leg and torn trousers are wounds of his battle. Bobby's challenge in front of Betty was like a slap in the face with a glove. The race was like a duel. Those running feet were like the clanging of swords. The fall was like the blade cutting deep into his heart. Guy, I'm lucky I wasn't killed. <laughs> well, David, take your mother's word for it. You don't have to show off to make a girl like you. David, take your father's word for it. A girl loves to have you show off for it. You forget, Harriet, I'm in a little better position to know what a woman likes. Well, this may be news to you, dear, but I'm a woman. Mom's <laughs> right, Pop. Harriet, you may be a woman, but I'm more qualified to say what a woman likes because I'm a man. Mom's a woman and Pop's a man. We're a neat family, boy. <laughs> this has worked out very well, Ricky. No, I really shouldn't let you in on the tricks we use to trap you unsuspecting females, Harriet. But in defense of David, he was quite right. Woman, being the weaker sex, is always impressed by physical prowess. That's been going on since the days of the caveman. Is it okay if we go out and play ball, Mom? Certainly, dear, but change your trousers. Hey, wait for me! And if you guys are going to do any batting, go down to the vacant lot. Harriet, don't you remember any of the things I did to impress you when we were kids? Riding the bicycle, no hands... Ginning myself in the schoolyard. I remember you were a very nice boy. Going off the high board up at the lake. I liked you the first time we met. Swinging that big hammer and ringing the bell at Palisades Park. You were always so considerate. Mother was very fond of you, too. I was a regular daredevil and it worked. <laughs> you married me. Wouldn't have married anybody else. What really made you decide on me? Your eyes. My eyes? Yes, I'm sure if I'd refused your proposal, you would have cried. <laughs> Harriet, the boys have gone upstairs. You don't have to try and prove your point anymore. You know as well as I do that girls are attracted by physical prowess. They all fall for that hero stuff. You want to play ball with us, Pop? Hmm? Yeah, it might be fun to play a little baseball, David. Just give me about five minutes and I'll get my old clothes on. Uh, Ozzy. Hmm? Yeah? You know, the more I think it over, you're absolutely right. What are you talking about? There's nothing that impresses a woman quite so much as a man's display of physical prowess. His bulging muscles rippling up and down as he leans forward and throws his weight into the task ahead of him. Uh, Harriet. His legs are weary. His back is breaking. But still he plunges onward, intent on completing his task if it kills uh, Harriet. Him. Yes, dear? On my word of honor, I'll mow the lawn tomorrow. <laughs> Okay, David, throw me one. Keep your eye on the ball, Ricky. Here she comes. Where'd it go, Ricky? Over the fence? Look out for your head, Pop. Oh, I got it. Here you are, David. Let's have another one. Here she comes. Look out, Pop. Keep pipping him. I've got it. This bat is awfully thin. Hi, Ricky. Hi, Mr. Thornberry. Oh, hi, Thorny. Well, it's you, Oz. Well, who'd you think it was? Joe DiMaggio? Oh, really now, Oz? From what I saw, I thought it was some scientist out there trying to contact the moon. <laughs> Here's the bat, Thorny. If you think you can do better, go right ahead. Oh, thank you, Oz. Furthermore, I think I'll pitch. You pitch? Okay, Oz, if you want to make it easier for me. We'll see about that. You want to catch, David? No, we won't need a catcher, Ricky. The ball won't get that far. All 
I see we have a comedian on the mound. I'm sorry, Tony. I had that orange in my pocket and I couldn't resist it. Hey, Pop, there's Mom over there. Hi, Mom. Hello, dear. Oh, Thorny, there's Harriet. Hand me the bat. Why, what's she done to you? I just want to show how I can hit the ball. Look, Thorny, just lob me an easy one so I can powder it. Oh, but, Oz, how will I look in front of Harriet if you're belting my pitching all over the lot? Do as I ask you this once, will you please, Thorny? All right, Oz, get up to the plate. We'd have a jolly time if I could get my hands on a cantaloupe. Mom's looking this way, Pop. I know she is. That's why I want to smack a good one. Okay, Thorny, sing one in. Strike one. Mom's waving back at you, Pop. I wasn't waving, Ricky. I was... <laughs> You were lucky that time, Thorny. Pitch another. Strike two. You're coming closer, Pop. <laughs> Why don't you just roll one and see if you can kick it out here? Don't worry about me, Thorny. Hi, Harriet. Hi! Strike three. You're out, Pop. <laughs> Pitch me another. You have three strikes, Pop. This isn't a regular game, David. Come on, Thorny. Oz, the only way you'll ever get it is if I mail it to you. Don't go away, Harriet. Come on, pitch the ball, Thorny. Shall I throw it underhand? You might as well. You do everything else that way. <laughs> Come on, let's see your speedball. Strike four. Uh, here it comes again, Oz. Strike five. <laughs> Once more, Oz. <laughs> Right, Slip. Let us know when you're out, will you, Pop? Stop showing off, Thorny, and put one over the plate. Hey, wait a minute. I have a better idea. Here, David, you bat for a while, and I'll catch. Okay, here's the mask, Pop. That's pretty small. I guess I can get it on okay. Uh, don't go away, Harriet. Thorny throws him pretty hard, but watch me catch him. All right, let's see your speedball, Thorny. Here we go, huh? Harriet, are you watching? Look, look out! Gee, I didn't realize you weren't looking when I pitched. Are you okay? I think so. Oh, oh what am I sitting on? Your foot. It's twisted under you. <laughs> oh, this darn mask is stuck on my face. Here, I'll give you a hand. Let me get a hold of it. Maybe I can help. I think it moved then. No, that was me. You're dragging me. <laughs> We'd better get that mask off before your face swells up. Yeah. Hey, I don't think I can walk. Oh, my foot hurts every time I move it. I don't wonder. You swung around and sat right down on it. Oh, how am I going to get home? David, go get that wheelbarrow over there by the fence. We can wheel Daddy home in there. Oh, don't be silly, Harriet. That thing's for hauling junk around. <laughs> if you could see yourself now, Oz, you'd climb right in. <laughs> I think that's the only way we'll get you home, dear. Okay. Help me into this thing. Uh, oh. Ricky, be quiet, will you? I feel conspicuous enough as it is. Attracting more attention to me. Are you all right, dear? Yes, I'm all right. With all the humiliating experiences. A mass of twisted steel on my face, being pushed home in a wheelbarrow. Harriet. Yes, dear? If you see anybody we know coming along, I'll close my eyes. You just tell him I'm drunk.
International Sterling. Creators of the loveliest solid silver in the world present the new pattern, Queen's Lace. Queen's Lace. Its inspiration might have come from a fairy tale. And suddenly, the queen appeared. Her robes were spun of shimmering lace. And on her head was a beautiful crown, woven of silver flowers, as bright as the moon. Queen's Lace. Never before have you seen a silver pattern of such regal loveliness. With unbelievable delicacy, the master craftsmen of International Sterling have created an enchanting reproduction of old Irish lace. Atop each knife, fork, and spoon is a glowing crown of silver flowers fashioned with exquisite beauty. Queen Lace is holding court at your International Sterling dealers right now, and you'll want to see it as soon as possible. When you do, you'll know that here is the pattern to hold sway over your heart. Queen's Lace is artist-designed, finished in every detail as superbly as crown jewels. Solid silver with beauty that lives forever. Tomorrow, see the new reigning beauty of all silver patterns, Queen's Lace, created by famous International Sterling. Ever since man first began to notice woman, about 500 years after woman began to notice man, he sought to win his mate by physical prowess. In the days of the caveman, he would simply choose the woman he wished to have and take her by brute force if necessary. We now show you a typical caveman, just plain Neanderthal Nelson. Owner? Yes, Neanderthal. Me, Neanderthal, want you, owner, for woman. Me, Una, don't like you, Neanderthal. Una, if you don't say you marry me, I'll hit you with his club. I won't marry you. No. Now will you marry me? No. Now will you marry me? Never. All right, I'll marry you. I don't want you now. You're a mess. Yes, there's no doubt about it. It's the big He-Man that makes a hit with the women. Many are the colorful stories that have come out of the turbulent days of the Old West. Howdy, stranger. What's your name? Texas. Texas, huh? Where are you from? Arkansas. <laughs> What's your name? Arkansas. Arkansas, huh? Where are you from? Scranton, Pennsylvania. <laughs> what are you doing in front of the school marm's house? If you're thinking of courting her, she's my gal. He's my gal. Well, we'll see about that. We'll settle this right here and now. Stand back to back, take ten paces, turn and shoot. 
I'll shoot my gun in the air first as a signal to start pacing. Here we go. Stop! Yeah, you got me. You were supposed to shoot your gun in the air. Doggone, I always was a poor shot. You didn't fight fair. You're a sick man. Just don't think about it. Now I'm going to see the school marm. Ain't seen her for a long time. A long time. Hello? Hello? Mighty long time. Yes, there's no doubt about it. It's the big he-man that makes a hit with the women. The most recent demonstration of man's physical prowess for the benefit of a woman happened just today, and the result lies there on the sofa in the form of Ozzie Nelson, the man in the iron mask, the man with the twisted ankle. The consultation seems to be in progress. Barney, will you stop stroking that imaginary beard of yours and get this bird cage off my face? How about soap? That's the way you get a ring off your finger. Now, that's an idea. We could soak your head in a bucket of soapy water for about ten minutes. On the garage, would this be of any use? Just what we need, Harriet. Hold still, Oz. I'll have this off in a jiffy. <laughs> what a horrible sound that makes. Hold still, dear. I think something is starting to give now. I hope so. Okay, now, just let me have those pliers. Now she's coming. There we are. Oh, what a relief. Thanks a lot, Thorny. Oh, don't thank me, my boy. You're out now. All I ask is that you go straight. <laughs> We're going now, Pop. We'll see you later. Oh, that's right. Your game's this afternoon, isn't it? Well, lots of good luck, fellas. I hope you win. Thanks, Pop. Thanks, Pop. Here you are, dear. Put your foot in this hot water. Oh, that feels good. Oh, you poor dear. You must be miserable. Here, let me fluff up that pillow. Now, I'll make you a nice, cool eggnog, and I'll get some magazines for you to read. You just take it easy and just rest. Oz, how can you stand to be treated like this? You mind your own business, Thorny. Here's the magazines, dear. Now I'll go make your eggnog. Don't you hate to be babied? How many eggs do you like, dear? Uh, two, Harriet, please. Well, if you like this sort of thing. I think I'll be on my way. You going home? No, I think I'll go down to the playground and see if I can't get hurt, too. <laughs> the mixer. How do you feel? Like a chump. What are you talking about? Oh, it must have been pretty obvious that I was showing off for you. I thought the way you stopped Thorny's pitch was very clever. Harriet, don't make up excuses for me. I'm not making up excuses for you. And come to think of it, it's pretty wonderful to think we've been married 13 years and you still want to impress me. Yeah, I'll bet I made a great impression. There aren't many women who've had the opportunity to walk down the street, meet friends, point to the contents of a wheelbarrow and proudly say, that's my husband. <laughs> Don't be so silly. I'll be back. Where are you going? Over to the market to buy some of those porterhouse steaks you like. Keep your foot in that water. Oh, hello, Mrs. Nelson. I was just going to knock. How's Mr. Nelson? Oh, he's much better. Thanks, Emmy Lou. It must have been awful with that catcher's mask stuck on his face. It was, but he had the cutest turned up nose you've ever seen. <laughs> I'm leaving, but go on in. Oh, hello, Mr. Nelson. Here, a little present for you. Oh, thanks. What are they? Nut cookies. Well, that's very appropriate, Emmy Lou. <laughs> and here, this is a box of 
candy for Mrs. Hodges and a box of peanut brittle for Mrs. Dennison. Mrs. Hodges and Mrs. Dennison. Oh, they shouldn't have gone to all that trouble. Oh, they were very happy to. You know how women love to rally around the fallen warrior, so to speak. How's your ankle, Mr. Nelson? Oh, it, it's pretty good now, thanks. The swelling is going down. My, what a lovely foot. <laughs> lovely? Oh, yes, it, it's so graceful. Those long, artistic toes. <laughs> I'll bet you have some kind of talent, Mr. Nelson. Oh, I play the piano a little. Take off your other shoe and play something for me. I usually play by ear, if that's of any interest to you. <laughs> but I don't think so. Not today. Is there anything I can get for you? Do you hurt anywhere? I'm all right, except for a fractured ego. You're looking at a crushed man, Emmylou. A man humiliated in front of his own wife. I tried to be a hero, and I'm a flop. You aren't, Mr. Nelson. Don't say such a thing no. because it isn't true. No. You're wonderful and kind and sweet. Well, Mrs. Nelson loves you. She doesn't care if you're a flop. No. <laughs> Women are all alike, Emmy Lou. They like the hero, the winner. It's always been that way. Oh, no, Mr. Nelson. That may be true in movies or in books. But in real life, it's just the opposite. It's the mother instinct. All women love to baby their men, to, to cater to their little weaknesses and vanities. What woman could love a big hero? We love the loser, the underdog. I'm going to the school dance tonight, and I'll bet there'll be plenty of girls with boyfriends who've never been outstanding in anything. But they'll be proud of their days, and I'll be proud of my days. Uh, who are you going with, Emmy Lou? Donald Crowder. Uh, who's Donald Crowder? Who's Donald Crowder? Who's Donald Crowder? You ask me who Donald Crowder is? I wouldn't have if I thought it would upset you so. <laughs> oh, Mr. Nelson, he's a pitcher on our baseball team, a star forward on our basketball team, and captain of our football team. Hi, <laughs> 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 Mr. Nelson. Annie Lou. Yes? Oh, yourself. <laughs> Oh, fine, thanks, Ricky. Uh, how'd the game go, David? David hit a home run. Betty Jackson's phone. She's really stuck on him now. Really? You can read it for yourself all over the sidewalk. <laughs> <laughs> well, good for you, David. David? Something the matter, David? Huh? Oh, I'm sorry, Pop. He's been like that ever since Betty kissed him. <laughs> well, yeah, I see a red smudge on your cheek. How old is Betty? Eleven. Oh, then it couldn't be lipstick. No, she was eating a hamburger with ketchup on it. <laughs> I can't understand it. As soon as I got to the playground, she asked me about my leg. Well, I was very considerate. She said Bobby must have pushed me. Then she kissed me. Then when I hit a home run, she kissed me again. Twice, boy. It made me sick. <laughs> Well, it's obvious what happened, Dave. You see, Betty was attracted to you because you were the hero. She kissed you because you hit the home run. But, Pop, she kissed me before the game, too. Because they lost the race this morning. He was using any old excuse. Who <laughs> <laughs> was kissing who? Don't look at me. <laughs> 
sorry, uh, David had an experience. It proves my point perfectly. David hit a home run at the game today, and little Betty Jackson kissed him. David? Gosh, not David, Mom. Davy boy. <laughs> Simply this, David. When you hit the home run, little Betty impulsively kissed you because you were a hero. And women like a man they can admire. You see that so far, don't you? Sure, Pop. Now, on the other hand, when you lose a race, when you fall down... That is, when you lose a race, when you fall down... David, are you sure you didn't win that race this morning? <laughs> well, maybe I can help you out. When a little girl likes a little boy, she just likes him. If he's a hero, she likes him because he's strong. If he falls down and gets hurt, she gives him sympathy and helps him up. When a woman loves a man, there's not very much she can do about it. She runs away from him, and he starts chasing her and chasing her until finally she catches him. <laughs> you make it sound a little like crapping muskrats, but I think your mother's right. <laughs> You mean Betty is already planning on marrying me? Could be, David. Holy smokes, I'm going to be an uncle. Choose Queen's Lace to reign over your table. Queen's Lace. Because it's the loveliest silver pattern you've ever seen. Queen's Lace. Because it's solid silver through and through. Queen's Lace. Because it's so much easier than you thought to buy. Yes, choose Queen's Lace. International Sterling's exquisite new pattern. Queen's Lace is everything you ever wanted in silver for your home. Imagine it on your table. Those gleaming knives, forks, and spoons. There's distinction in the lovely floral crown that tops each piece. Delicate beauty in the lace openwork. The edges of tiny, perfect beading. Regal splendor in the sweeping lines. And like all international sterling patterns, Queen's Lace is solid silver with beauty that lives forever. Through each generation, it will only grow lovelier, richer, and warmer. And that makes it a really economical purchase. A purchase that's much easier than you thought to make, too. For your international sterling dealer has an easy payment plan for you, especially suited to your own budget. So tomorrow, see Queen's Lace. Choose Queen's Lace, the exquisite new pattern created by International Sterling. Hey, Pop? Yes, Ricky? How did that stuff go yesterday? Uh, what stuff? All that? Well, what your mother said in so many words was a man may use physical prowess, but the woman really does the pursuing. Why do you ask? I found out it was true, boy. Really? What happened? There's a new girl in school. I use physical prowess, and she prowess me. Ricky, what happened? I hit her with a ruler and she chased me all the way home.
in next week to another transcribed adventure of Ozzie and Harriet, starring Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. And remember, the solid silver with beauty that lives forever is International Sterling. Yes, Harriet, the solid silver with beauty that lives forever is International Sterling. Appearing in support of Ozzie and Harriet were David and Ricky Nelson, John McIntyre, Janet Waldo, John Brown, and yours truly, Vern Smith. Original music was composed and conducted by Billy May. This is CBS, a Columbia Broadcasting System. Here's Walden. That was Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet from April 24, 1949. I'm Walden Hughes, and may the good Lord Jesus Christ bless you. And this is Yesterday... U.S.A. If you would like to get in contact with Walden, his email is walden1 at yesterdayusa.com. His studio telephone number is 714-545-2071. And his home address is 2527 Duke Place, Costa Mesa, California, 92626. I am Kim Bragg, and thanks for the memories, Walden. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Bill Bragg, and if you need a good announcer, don't hire me full-time, because now I'm working by the word. Word spoken for sale or rent. Attached to email and quickly sent. No agents or union dues. Bill Bragg is one cool dude. Send your copy via email or fax. He'll record it and send you the tracks. Bill Bragg's the best you've heard. He's king of the word. Putting me to work for you is as easy as one, two, three. Start out by faxing your copy to 972-889-2FAX. Then dial 972-889-TALK and listen. If you like what you hear, I'll send it by email. You can even pay online with a credit card. Voiceovers or SOTs. His big deep voice is guaranteed. All the others come in second or third. Bill Bragg is king of the word. Prices start out at 25 cents per word with a minimum of $50. Yesterday USA Superstation. Well, how do you do, everybody? Bill Bragg, the man with a million friends. And you've been listening to our own tape number seven. For the two-week period that began... On the uh, 21st day of April, how are you doing? You know, I can uh, 
read your mail, but I can't read your mind. So why don't you put what's on your mind in the mail to me so as I can read it. And uh, if you like, I'll share it with the world or it can just be our secret and I won't tell anybody. Okay? Here's how to write to me. Mailing address is 2001. That's 2001. 2001. Plymouth Rock Drive. P-L-Y-M-O-U-T-H. R-O-C-K, 2001, Plymouth Rock Drive, Richardson, Texas, R-I-C-H-A-R-D-S-O-N, Richardson, Texas, zip code is 75081-USA, 75081-USA. Email address is just uh, real easy, BB, as in Bill Bragg, that's BB at yesterdayusa.com that's bb at yesterdayusa.com you know a lot of people have been writing in and uh, helping us out and that's how we've been on the air for the past 25 years that's right we've been here for a quarter of a century 24 hours a day 7 days a week 365 days a year Free of charge and without commercial interruption. How do we do it? Well, by the grace of God and the generosity of nice people. Nice people just like you. Let me tell you some of these nice people. There's Misty in Amarillo, Texas. One of these days I'm going to get on up there to Amarillo and I'm going to sneak up behind her. Say, Guess who, Misty? <laughs> Guess who, Misty? That's what I'm gonna say. Guess who? That's what. Um, that's what. Um, Ronnie Millsap told me. He said. Uh, said to Roger Miller used to sneak up behind me, and he'd put his hands over my ears, and say, "Guess who?" <laughs> I'm gonna sneak up behind Misty one of these days, and Amarillo, Texas, when she least expects it, and. Um, I'm going to say, guess who? How about Albert out there in Santa Clara, California? Albert's a regular, long-time supporter here at Yesterday USA. Writes a very nice letter. Says, Bill, keep up the good work. And I'm so glad to know that Kim and her health is improving. And it is. You know, Kim had sinus surgery for the third time. And she's finally rounded the corner starting to feel so much better. Did I mention that Albert, out there in Santa Clara, sent in a $120 check? If I did, well, I hope I did, because it ought to be mentioned about twice. I'll even ring the bell for him. Big John Cop is always with us when we broadcast live, and we do. Every night, we'll be on the air live tonight, 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Monday through Thursday, it's yours truly, Bill Bragg, along with Mike Handy. And on uh, Friday night, it's the man you've been listening to, Walden Hughes, coming your way, along with uh, the living legend of old-time radio, Mr. Frank Brzee. And on Saturday and Sunday nights, Walden is here also. There's always a friendly voice, always something interesting, coming your way live at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 nights a week. Also, I want to say thank you to uh, Karen 
in New York. I was watching uh, some video coverage of the old-time radio show convention, and I saw a picture of her on our video. Tony Fournier, one of our great DJs, a $10 contribution. And uh, from also out in California, Bruce Forsberg. Bruce has been such a loyal supporter and such a good and dear friend for so long. He sent in a beautiful um, engraved pewter plate that we've got hanging on the wall that will commemorate our 25 years on the air. And lo and behold, here's a $50 online contribution from Bruce. God bless you, buddy. I certainly do appreciate you. Hey, uh, we'd like to know how uh, we're sounding on your cell telephone. Do you have a cellular telephone? If you do, and if you can uh, surf the Internet on it, you can listen to Yesterday USA free of charge. Why don't you come to the website, yesterdayusa.com. That's www.yesterdayusa.com. And uh, down there at the bottom says how to listen. Click there, and you'll find the many, many ways to listen to Yesterday USA. Of course, we're on the Internet, and we were the first ones to be here playing old-time radio shows. We're also uh, on satellite, two powerful satellites that blanket the entire North American hemisphere. On your cell telephone, hospitals, nursing homes, low-power AM and FM radio stations, cable television outlets, so many different ways to listen. So uh, pick one that's convenient for you. Do listen often. And don't forget to help us out all that you can as soon as you can. Because uh, we've been here now for 25 years. By the grace of God, the generosity of nice people like you, and the hard work from our dedicated volunteer DJ staff. Over 50 professionals including country music superstar Ronnie Millsap. You'll find him on tape number 16. So this is our story, and uh, we're sticking to it. We've been here for 25 years, and we ain't going to change nothing yet. Still doing pretty doggone good. And uh, let us know. Let us know how you listen and what you think about us. We'd love to hear from you. I'll be back in touch with you. God bless. 73s. Close your eyes now, relax, and listen.